Good morning. Pastor Rob, I want to say uh, welcome to you. The first time I've been in this uh, venue, uh, we opened it up last week. I was in Africa and with a handful of uh, brown crofters, and more to come on that. We'll talk about it more in the weeks to come. We left one behind on purpose. Uh, Kristen Beck, who uh, is in our family ministry team, uh, uh, is going to be there for another eight weeks. So we'll, we look forward to talking more about uh, that trip and that partnership, that REACH partnership in the days to come. But it was a great trip uh, in uh, Fast Furious with our five different missionary couples and families that we met in three different places in Senegal. So look forward to talking more about it. Um, I also want to say as we stand here this morning, I want, to, um, I want to say, Pete mentioned this a second ago, just to say thank you. I got here, you know, early like, uh, you know, 80 others or whoever was here. And, you know, um, if you just showed up and which most of you did, that is to say, not, every, not everyone, most of the people in this room aren't doing something. Um, it's a little different, you know, maybe you took a few extra steps to get to this room instead of this room back here, um, but actually a lot of work goes on, uh, both, you know, physically and, and, and technology and, and workarounds, and I just want to take a minute to, to say thank you uh, to hundreds of people, uh, if you would, who uh, are serving. Um, it's a big deal, and, uh, and this is really, you know, your church, our church, and you're making it happen in this summer, and today's a decent day. It's awesome, but there may be a few hot or cold ones, and it's not going to be, you know, we don't know if it'll be perfect for the next uh, so many weeks, but thank you for all the work that you're doing. A second thing I want to say before we dive into this uh, final sermon in this series is um, obviously, we're here, as Pete said, um, because we're doing some renovation, uh, and that will be done in, uh, we hope, in September. If you drove by the west parking lot, you see the big blown-out hole over there. Um, so that room, that, that theater is being renovated. But let me say this, you know, um, that's a means to an end. And uh, we are doing these changes, physical changes, to hopefully support you know, the growth and development of our ministry. And we're not going to wait for that to take place. So we, we, we want to just as much be aggressive and eager about our ministry uh, and the work that we do, not only in far off places like Senegal, but right here in Rochester in our, in our communities this summer. So we've got a lot planned. I'm not going to talk all about it today, but uh, we want to we get after it. And to that end, let me tell you where we're going just next month in the month of June, a sermon series called Not Too Busy To. And I want to just talk about, I really want to talk about where we need to go as a church. I'm talking about practically speaking, engaging in the discipleship pathway in more aggressive ways. We're going to talk about listening to God. We're going to talk about giving. We're going to talk about serving as we prepare all to uh, launch our year in September. But we're also going to have a, a Father's Day. So I'll just give you a quick shout out to Father's Day the 17th of June, we're going to have a, a special day, really. It's an outreach opportunity. I hope uh, you'll invite your friends. Um, it's for dads. Of course, we're going to focus on dads and, 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 and surrogate dads, those of you who help encourage and, and raise your um, neighbors, friends, your, your nephews, um, and just have a day really celebrating dads. We're going to have a special speaker, uh, a guy whose name uh, some of you would know him, former Dallas Cowboy and Miami Dolphin. His name is Corey Proctor, who has a great testimony, more to come. But we, all that to say, we're not sitting on our hands this summer. So that's what I wanted to say as we get ready for the month of June. Now, if you have a Bible, open up to Romans chapter 8, and let me say a few words before we get there. 
We have been studying, if you haven't been here, to the end of a series called None Like Him. And it's a series of messages on the character of God. And the basic premise is this, right? We're Christians. We're here today. It, it, being a Christian, the most simple definition is having a personal relationship with God. I like that definition, not mine, but I think that works. But that the quality of that relationship has everything to do with who is on the other end, right? Who is God? How does he work? Uh, what is the nature of, of who God is? What is God's nature? How do I interact with him? How do I respond to such a big uh, concept as God? And we, and the whole point of this series is to say, when we look at these characteristics, right? God is eternal. God is self-existent. God is unchangeable, right? Um, when we look at these characteristics, uh, we want to say, you know, how does the fact that God is eternal... How does the fact that God is self-existent, how is the fact that God is all power, as Cody talked about last week, how should that change the way that I live, right? This is not an academic exercise, but a practical one, I hope. So having studied these other um, attributes, we're going to consider maybe the toughest one. Pete mentioned that this morning, God's sovereignty, Okay, God's sovereignty. The Bible teaches that God is sovereign. That's a big word that means he has authority, right? All authority. Not only over heaven and earth and the, you know, the in, in physics and chemistry and cosmology, but over your life and over my life. God is totally and completely sovereign, right? The Bible says that Jesus is our Savior, right? Many of you would agree with that. But the Bible also says Jesus is your King, right? Okay? I'm not using that metaphor. That's the one the Bible uses, right? Jesus is your King, right? And the question is, is he your King today? Limitless rule or infinite rule, right? That's the way we've been using, talking about this series. God is sovereign. He has infinite, limitless rule. He doesn't just rule the heavens, he rules my life and your life. It's not only a difficult concept to grasp, but it's a difficult concept to trust unless you've come to appreciate some of the other uh, characteristics that we've talked about over this series, which is why I'm ending here. A couple summary statements about this idea of God's sovereignty. His limitlessness... That's the word we've been using, infinite, in these messages. In every area that we've talked about over these last seven weeks, points to his sovereignty in all things. That's why I'm ending with sovereignty. Set another way, right? Get out of the clouds, pastor. Set another way. Control lies at the heart of what we mean when we talk about sovereignty. All right? Control. Romans 8, 28. Let's read and dive in. Romans 8, 28. Familiar passage, 8, 28 through 30. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified, right? Big verse, Romans 8, 20, all things work together for good. Let me say a few things about what does that mean, right? Even just that first verse, right? It does not mean that everything that happens is good. It's not what that verse says. Nor does it mean 
that in another way of looking at it is everything that happens in life, even the bad things, they ultimately will have a silver lining if you wait long enough, right? It doesn't mean that either. I would say to you that is, that point of view is baloney. It's not what biblical Christianity talks about. And if you think it is or I think it is, right, that all things are good or all things have a silver lining, if that's your view of Christianity, it might be the reason why people aren't following you to church on a Sunday morning or following me. Now, this is the most extensive or one of the whole passage, which we didn't read, Romans 8, the second half of it in particular. It's one of the most extensive passages on suffering in the Bible. But you won't find here rose-colored glasses view for the Apostle Paul writing this, right? And uh, uh, you won't find... He has a, his view of life is that it's brutal. In fact, if you look at the Apostle Paul's testimony, different part of the New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and in that book, there was these um, people who had come to infiltrate, if you know the Corinthian church story, it's covered in two letters in the New Testament. It was a church, a congregation in Greece. And there were these super apostles that came in, kind of, you might call them celebrity pastors that had come into this congregation. And what they were saying in so many words is, listen, don't listen to Paul, he's full of baloney. Listen, look at Paul's life. He's not a very good communicator, he's not very good looking, and these guys were what we might kind of call prosperity gospel kind of people, if you know what I mean. In other words, they were saying, listen, if God's in your life, if you have a relationship with God, man, things are going to prosper in your life, things are going to be successful in your life. See, there's not, nothing new under the sun, we hear that even in our own day, but that's what they were saying, and Paul says, listen, 1 Corinthians 11, he goes, let me give you my resume. Let me try to clarify your understanding of what the Christian faith is all about. All things work together for good does not mean that everything in life is good or that there's any silver lining. He said, let me tell you my resume. And he goes on to this long laundry list of, you know, he was suffered, he'd been beaten, he'd been thrown in prison, he was homeless, he was in, in and out of jail. He said, this is what it means to be a follower. And think about this too. Think about Jesus. Just this simple idea, right? My first point, let's put it up there. I should have already got to it. God's control of the future gives meaning to an otherwise confusing present. The, the fact that the present is confusing and difficult, that's taken for granted in the New Testament. But think about this for a minute. God's control of the future gives meaning to a confusing present. Think about the gospel itself. Forget the Apostle Paul for a minute. The reason we're here today, the heart of our faith, is Jesus Christ who, right, came into the world as the Son of God who basically was, 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 was shunned, who was, who, was, who was criticized, who ultimately was uh, uh, um, crucified and suffered a horrible death, right? That if you were standing there 2,000 years ago and you were a, one of the few followers of Jesus, you wouldn't have thought this was a great victory being crucified. But you and I know, right, God's control of the future what did it all mean? Well, it means that tens of millions and billions of people who have come to know the experience of the gospel because of that event, right? God's control of the future gives meaning to an otherwise confusing present. Verse 28, right? All things, we know that in all things, God works for the good for those who love him. All things work together. It's not some Pollyanna unwillingness to admit evil when it shows up in your life or when it slaps you in the face, which it does to many of us, right? What Romans 8, 28 means, we're talking about control here, okay? 
It's a confession of faith, right? It's putting a stake in the ground, right? Despite a confusing presence, that the things in your life or the things in the world itself ultimately will resolve into good because your future and my future are in God's hands, not your own, right? That's really what we're talking about. Now, let me say this. Apart from such a confidence, right, that God's control of the future gives meaning to an otherwise confusing present, there is no reason for optimism in humanity at all, right? I was listening to, uh, some of you uh, may know this, the great writer Philip Roth, one of the great, probably two or three or four of the great writers um, of the American, um, American writers in the last half of the 20th century just died, so they're doing all these retrospectives of him. But Roth, was a, was a, he was a secular Jew, but a lifelong um, um, you know, atheist of sorts, a non-believer. And, and, and this interviewer, they were replaying this interview, was asking him about that. You know, even, it, wasn't, it was within the last few years, and he was you know, in his mid-80s, and just saying, you know, what do you think, you know, and, uh, about, it, and he was, he was very no-nonsense about it. He said, listen, I think all religion is a delusion. And he went on to just talk about what a joke it is, and it was a very pessimistic view, and it, it just sort of burdened me just listening to it. And I thought, but you know, in another sense, it makes total sense to me, right? Outside of the confession and the understanding that God is in control of all things, that it's because God has the future and my future, that I can make sense of a confusing presence. If I don't believe in that kind of a God who has control of all things, I would have the same point of view. The key word in this passage, famous passage, Romans, is purpose. We know that in all things, God works for the good. It's about an outcome. doesn't mean it's good at the time. For those who love him, it have been called according to his purpose. What does he mean? What is it that God is doing in your life? or what God wants to do in your life. To quote a, a pastor from you know, 10, 15 years ago, still good truth, it is a purpose-driven life, right? That's the, what the Bible talks about. It's a purpose-driven life. But see, many people in our culture are looking simply to entertain themselves, to satisfy their immediate wants. That's the way we look at life. It's about immediate gratification. And they cannot see beyond the confusing presence, because they have no real vision of a God, a sovereign God, who, how God is and how he works. Uh, one last verse on this point, Isaiah chapter 24, verse 14. This is the confession that I'm encouraging us to make. The Lord Almighty has sworn, surely as I have planned, so it will be, as I have purposed it, so it will happen. This is the confession. And he's not just talking about world history, he's talking about your life He's talking about my life. God's control of the future gives meaning to an otherwise confusing present. Second point, because God controls all things, he can ultimately, this is the point of sovereignty, work all things for our good. Let's read the rest of this passage or parts of it. Romans 8, 18 through 21. Romans 8, 18 through 21. The Apostle Paul, lots, in, lots packed into these verses. I consider that our present sufferings, one of the big passages on suffering in the New Testament, are not, worthy, are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Right? There's something different between where we're headed and where we are. For the creation, 
And here now he's not just talking, he's not talking about people. He's saying, listen, human destiny is tied to the actual world physical creation itself, right? That's what he's saying. For the creation waits in eager expectation. It's a personification. As if the lakes and the rivers and the mountains are saying, oh, hurry up, oh Lord, right? Waits in eager expectation for the children of God. That's where he starts, the kingdom of God in our hearts, to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice. You don't have control as much as you think you do, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. That's a lot of fancy words to say God has a purpose for your life. Right? He has a purpose for you. That's what this passage is. These are big words, and there's a mountain of spiritual truth, but it's not about what some people first think about when they read this verse, right? Foreknowledge and predestination. What's he talking about? A plain reading of this whole passage, all of Romans 8, says it's a passage about hope, not fear. When he uses this word, and some of you it's a buzzword of, of, of concern, some of you not, the word predestined, right? Verse 29. When he's talking about predestination here, he's not talking about whether or not people go to heaven or go to hell, right? That's not the way. It's a very plain reading of the passage. He's not talking about your destination. He's talking about the kind of person you are to become, right? Look at verse 29. For those God foreknew, he predestined to go to heaven when they die. It's not what it says. To go to hell when they die. It's not what it says. He predestined them to be conformed to the image of his son, right? The purpose of this whole passage is about the person that you are going to become. And the point about sovereignty is this. You have got to come to the place. You've got to look beyond the confusing present. You've got you you to put out a flag out there in the future, and you have to realize something. First of all, you are not in control of your life. And the older you get... Right? Dave's smiling at me over there. The older that you get, the more you get that. Right? God is in control, and it's learning to trust his control that your life is going somewhere. Listen, that human history is going somewhere. Even when you're this close to it, it doesn't seem like it is. Okay? It doesn't seem like it is. Ultimately, that's what God is doing. The rest of this passage, Romans 8, we won't read it all, but I encourage you to, it's really talking about God's love, which is the change agent. And ultimately, this is a paraphrase of the last part of the passage we didn't read. You know, that, you know, the, 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 well, who can separate us from the love of God? Can, can this difficulty, can that difficulty, can angels, nothing can separate us. What he's saying is, listen, neither the, the power of hell nor the high waters of the difficulties of this life can keep you from utterly getting where God wants to take you. Right? That's really what this passage is talking about. Now let me say something to you about this idea of sovereignty, about what this passage is telling us, that, that some of you um, don't believe, okay? Or, and this may be especially true for the younger of us, so I'm going to look out in the gym, and Josh and Cody, and if our, some of our students are in our gym, might be less likely to believe this truth, okay? But this is, this is what I think... Um, the older you get, the more you'll understand that what, what's keeping you, what's keeping me from being happy, right? 
And, and I, I'm going to tell you, if you, if you say, I want to be happy, I, I, I mean, that's a good thing, right? I think there's an, in, there's an inbred desire in every one of us to want to be happy, to want to experience a level of happiness. It's, it's, I think God put it inside of us. But what's keeping you from being happy, what's keeping me from being happy is not your circumstances. But see, most of us think of that. Most of us spend lots of our energy saying, listen, if I could just get another job, if I could just get another boss, if I could just get another spouse, you know, <laughs> I'd be happier. If I could, oh, what I, what's standing in between me and happiness really is opportunity. And we spend a lot of our times, either our energies, trying to change our um, circumstances. That's what we're talking about. We're even thinking about it now. You know, How can we change our circumstances or... We spend time complaining about our circumstances, right? Whether it's our country, our individual life, our health, whatever the case may be, right? Many of us think that what's standing in between us and happiness is a change of our circumstances. But the real problem, my real problem, and your real problem is not your circumstances. Ready for it? It's your character, okay? The real reason that you're not happy is because of your pride. The real reason that I'm not happy is because of my selfishness. The real reason you're not happy is because of the hardness of your heart. It's because of the overwhelming lust in your heart. It's because of your greed and your envy and your problem in being happy. Let me tell you, there's a lot of people, don't raise your hand, who got the new job, who got the new wife, who got the new car, and they're not any happier, right? There's a few hands going up back there, okay? Laquan, are you confessing anything? No, okay, never mind. But guys, you know that. Now, those of you who maybe you're 18 or you're, you're 27, or you, 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 you say, yeah, that, that's, that might be true for you, but it's not true for me, right? Just wait, okay? Because it is true. And that's why they look at some people, I mean, Mother Teresa is an extreme example, but people who have very little, maybe it's your grandmother, maybe it's your neighbor, maybe it's your old football coach, I mean, and you say, I don't get it. They'd have next to nothing, but they're happy because they understand something. It's your character, right? It's your character. In suffering, which God is the sovereign controller of the universe, is behind suffering even in your life and in my life, read Apostle Paul's testimony, drives you more deeply to God often. It makes you and me more real, more solid, more stable. Are you signing up for it? I don't want to sign up for it, but I know it's true already in my life. I was just in one of our missionaries that we met with five different missionaries last week, couples. You'll get to hear more about them uh, in the weeks and months to come. One of them that we support, they're both medical professionals. They've been there for about a year and a half, and we had this sober time of thoughtful sharing and you know, you know, kind of let your hair down uh, prayer and share with these missionaries in this one couple, the, the, the wife of this couple. They're both medical professionals, and she said, you know, we got here. She goes, it was, it's been gut-wrenching. You know, nobody cares what school I went to. No, nobody, I, I, the fact that I'm a professional means nothing to anybody. I can barely get out the words for hello and goodbye, and, and, and I need uh, which way to the grocery store. And she said, I came to a place where I just felt like, who, I didn't have an identity anymore, Okay. But it's been a year and a half. But she said, you know, through tears, but she said, you know, the funny thing is, in a way, I'm also discovering 
I'm more my true self today than I was back there, right? Suffering drives you more deeply to God because many of us, listen, we're, we're hanging on to things. Our whole lives are about coping strategies with a confusing present. We're just trying to keep ourselves, our heads above water in life, and we're not getting anywhere, right? So what happens, see, many of us, I would say this, we don't have the stomach for the kind of change that God wants to bring about in our life. So we grow old, but we don't grow up, right? We don't grow up. I was on this team, I don't know if he'll mind me saying, here we go, because I didn't ask his permission, but... Uh, Andrew Mathias was on the team with us, young doctor in, our, in the church. He was my kind of you know, roommate, so to speak. And he's got a couple little kids. And one of them, just before he left, so this was a week or two ago, um, one of his daughters, um, she lost her pacifier. And they decided that night, might have been the night before he left, that that was going to be the transition point to just let it, you know, lose the pacifier. Right? Those of you who are parents have gone through this. And I said, wow, tell me about it. And he, you know, he was uh, Skyping with his wife here and there, and he just said, oh, it's been hell. You know, I mean, it's, she's up all through the night, and I said, wow. I said, that's either really bad timing for you or you hit the jackpot, you know. <laughs> but let me say something. Many of us, forget our culture for a minute, right? Many of us, because we do not have a mature relationship with God, particularly on this issue of God's sovereignty, that God has control of the future. See, for many of us, Jesus is our Savior, but he's not our king, right? And because he's not your king, he doesn't have all authority in your life, you're, really, you're spending the best of your energies trying to manage your circumstances, and you're growing old, but you're not growing up. The only way to deal with a confusing present is to lose the adult pacifiers, guys, okay? I don't know what that is for you. Maybe it's drugs, maybe it's alcohol, maybe it's television, maybe it's uh, your job, maybe it's Fox News. I mean, I don't know, whatever it might be. I don't know what it is, but you need to lose it. Here's the big idea. Because God is in control and you are not, he is bringing about his purposes, not in spite of your choices, but through them, right? Think about that. Not in spite, it's not the, it, it doesn't matter, even through your disobedience. This is the understanding of what it means to be that God is sovereign because God is in control. I think I'm in control, but I'm not because God is in control of all things. He's not just in control of the big things. He started the whole thing going and he stepped back. No, if I understand the Bible, he's in control of everything. I think that was the great, uh, um, I can't remember his name now, Ligonier Ministries, um, R.C. Sproul, thank you, who said, listen, and this book on the sovereignty, I said, listen, if one molecule is out of place, then God, it, it says that God is not sovereign. God is in control of all things, right? God is in control. But if God is in, because God is in control of all things, he works to bring about his purpose, Right? Those who he predestined, he called, those he called, he justified, those he justified, he glorified. All of those big theological ideas are in the past tense, even in the Greek. Why did they do that? To make a point. I obviously am not glorified yet, but he's saying it's as good as done because God is in control of all things. Not in spite of your dumb choices, 
but through them. And there's many examples of this. Let me just give you one for sake of time. The story of Joseph. Remember the story of Joseph? Some of you, if you don't, the book of Genesis. Joseph was one of the favored sons of Israel. And he had this great calling on him. He had a dream. It's for students, those of you here in this, or in the gym, when he was 17 years old. And this wasn't just a dream he had because, you know, he had uh, pizza the night before or because his, his coach has spoke into him or, or his parents seated. This was a, in those days, there was no Bible. God spoke through dreams and visions, and Joseph got one from God. I mean, it was from the source. He was convinced, and that dream said, listen, I have a very specific purpose for your life. You are going to rise up. You will rule over your brothers. You will rule over your parents. You're going to be an amazing deliverer. And Joseph, like you, if you got one of these, right, he wakes up the next day, and he's like, oh, my, my whole life, he's, it's given me purpose and vision, and he, and, and, he, and he shares it with his family. And from that point on, not for the next weekend, for the next 30 years, right? Everywhere Joseph turns, it's, it's, it's in the negative direction. His brothers get jealous. They sell him as a slave. He gets kicked out of the promised land. He ends up falsely accused of some kind of you know, sexual indiscretion, which he didn't do. He gets thrown into jail. I mean, it's one negative thing after another. It's not a weekend. It's decades go by. And when his brothers, those of you who know the story... This is a great story of Genesis. When his brothers finally, years later, catch up with him, the Bible says Joseph saw his brothers. They didn't even recognize him. He's a grown man, as they were. And he said, and he remembered his dream, right? Because there was a thousand reasons why he should have forgotten it, right? Because we look at our circumstances. We look at the confusing present and say, God must not love me. We look at the confusing present and go, I'm going in the wrong direction. I thought I was supposed to do this with my life, but really it's not because I'm looking at the confusing present for answers you're not going to find there. Right? Genesis 50, verse 20. That's how this ends. Joseph looks at his brothers, and they're scared to death, if you know the story. They say to themselves, their father Jacob, who's a very, very old man, dies, and they, this is a paraphrase, but it's in there, and they say, listen, we are in deep trouble here. We are going to be, you know, he's going to crucify us. He's going to take vengeance on us because now that our father is dead, there's no reason he's not going to give us our just due for selling him. And it says, he looked him in the face and said, you intended to harm me, right? God doesn't work in spite of your choices. He works through them. Those were self-centered, self-serving choices. You intended to harm me out of jealousy and anger, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, lo, these many years later, the saving of many lives. Right? God's control of the future gives meaning to an otherwise confusing present because God controls all things. He can ultimately work all things for our good if you're willing to trust him. Here's the application and I'm done. The will of God is a course you choose, okay? Think about this famous verse. All things work together for good to those who love God. Let me tell you what the word love means in the Bible, typically. Love the Lord your God with your heart, your soul, your strength, and your mind. Love your neighbor. It's not talking about affection. There's affection in the Bible, but he's not talking about that, that big word, part of the great commitment. It's not talking about affection. It's not talking about warm feelings. The word love means commitment. Right? 
if you are committed to the Lord your God with your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, this is the great commandment. What he's saying is this. See, a lot of us are growing old, but we're not growing up because we're Christians. Jesus is our Savior, but he's not your king, right? He's not your king. And you're really taking your points, you're taking your your, 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 your reference point to how you're living your life and what you're doing from the confusing present and you're growing old but you're not growing up, right? A sovereign God says that I can look at a confusing present. I can look at a life that doesn't make sense and I can say, listen, I'm not in control of my life. Who are you kidding, right? Who are we kidding? God is in control. And although it doesn't make sense in the moment, poor Joseph, can you imagine this woman bugs him time after time after time after time after time. Hey, go to bed with me. Go to bed with me. Those aren't my words. This is what the book of Genesis says. Come to bed with me. And if she was Potiphar's wife, she was probably, you know, top of the charts, beautiful, right? I mean, this, come to bed with me. And Joseph said, how can I do such a thing and sin against God? I'm doing the right thing. What does it get him? Throws in jail. <laughs> right? Well, God, where are you? Hold on, Joseph. Don't, quit, don't judge so quickly. Don't be so focused on your circumstances. Because right? God's trying to... Psalm 108 said this. Joseph was in prison. They put shackles on his feet and his arms until the word of the Lord proved him true because his problem wasn't his circumstances. His problem was his character. God might have a great dream for your life as a parent, as a person, as a professional. He has a great dream. If God said to me right now, I want you to be the, 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 the president of uh, you know, such and such, well, it's one thing to get the job. It's another thing to have the ability to execute it, right? Your problem, my problem, is a character problem, right? All things work together for good, even the bad things, even the hard things, because they're making you into, they're conforming you into the image of Jesus. And the question is, are you going to, uh, the, the will of God is a course that you choose. Is it something you're, you can either choose to cooperate with the sovereignty of God. It's my, my challenge. Or you can spend your life wrestling against it, but either way, God wins. Either way, God wins. We have a role to choose. We still have a role, I should say, to choose to live God's rule every day of our lives. What does it mean to love God? That all things work together for good to those who love God. 1 John 5, 3 says this. Um... In fact, this is love for God to keep his commandments, right? In spite of what seems like a dumb reason to do so, right? This is love for God to keep his commandments. Joseph said, listen, I don't know what's going on. This makes absolutely no sense, but I'm going to do it anyway. And ultimately, God accomplishes purposes in Joseph's life, and he'll do the same in yours and in mine. Stand to your feet. I want to close this series and this sermon Really with a prayer. We've been doing prayers if you've been following along in the group guides in your small group even. And I want us to say this prayer. It's a, it's a prayer that David prayed um, near the end of his life, the great King David. But it's, a, it's one of the great prayers that acknowledges not only the sovereignty of God, which I want us to acknowledge, that God is in control of all things, but it also realizes that we have a role, right? We, to... to uh, to choose the will of God is, uh, it, it's a course for your life, right? 
The will of God is a course that you choose. The great Elizabeth Elliot, if you know who she is, I've listened to her recently, she said this, God gave us our wills so that we'd have something to give back to him for all that he has given to us. That's the only thing you really have to give to God, right? Is your will, and you do it every single day. And why is it difficult? Because the, the present is confusing. Because difficult things happen in your life. Because evil shows up into your family, it slaps you in the face once in a while. And you have to say, listen, I'm, I'm going to grab hold of the sovereign God who can work not only in spite of my choices, but through them to bring about his purpose. And David prays this prayer. So let's pray it together. We'll sing and be done. Ready? So let's read this together. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. Keep these desires and thoughts in the hearts of your people forever and keep their hearts loyal to you. Amen. Amen.